Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sense podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and today we have a great episode uh, previewing all of the Sens offseason uh, with Graham Nichols. It's a really good talk. It's always good catching up with Graham, and I thank him for, for joining the podcast. Uh, we talk a little bit about the expansion draft, and I my plans were to have it out around this evening, probably right when it is coming out, with uh, little did I know, literally every single pick was going to be um, spoiled by the time that, uh, or broke by the time we got to it. I, I really thought that they were going to try and do a better job at keeping it under wraps, but uh, that didn't happen. But uh, regardless, it was only part of the podcast. We get into uh, what we want to see out of the draft, free agency. Uh, we talk about Pierre Maguire because I have not recorded a podcast since that hiring. So um, still lots of great talk. And I think even some of the stuff we discussed with the expansion draft really has uh, meaning going forward because uh, Bruce Garriott is reporting that, you know, Ottawa is still shopping Chris Tierney and Evgeny Dadanoff. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But thank you, everyone, for listening. And I'll be back after the draft as well. And then uh, over the summer, I'm still hoping to do bi-weekly episodes. So, um, you know, we'll get back up to the draft and probably after free agency as well. And then maybe go to every other week from there. But um, thank you for all the support. It seriously means so much uh, watching this podcast grow over the past couple months since I've started it. Um, and even just, you know, watching uh, the, the Twitter account grow, you can find the Twitter account at last word on sends, and you can find me on Twitter at NHL sends and stuff. Um, so thank you so much for all the support. Uh, it means a lot. And I hope you guys all enjoy the episode. Making his return to the show. He is the host of the Rome in a day podcast. You know, him on Twitter as sixth sends it's Graham Nichols. Graham, thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going, man? Not too bad. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Uh, excited to talk some more hockey here as we get into the off season. It's been uh, slow, slow-ish for Sens news, I would say. There's one really big thing that has happened lately, but uh, I think it's going to pick up here with obviously the Seattle draft happening tomorrow, and then uh, the actual draft is coming up this weekend, and free agency starts in a week from now. So there's uh, not going to be any shortage of stuff to talk about here. No, not at all. I'm really looking forward to tomorrow night. Some big decisions ahead, and. Uh... Yeah, not really surprised by Ottawa's expansion list, to be honest with you. What about yeah, yourself? I, well, definitely, yeah. Like, I, I think, you know, we can deep dive it here in a second. I think just from what we were hearing coming into the, uh, you know, the day that they had to put the list in, there was no real surprises. I think once uh, everyone's good friend Bruce Garriott kind of released his protection list the day before, that was a pretty good signal of what they were probably going to do. I would say the only big one maybe would be Dadanoff, and you know we can get into that as well. But I think that would be the only surprise. But even just the amount of talk and the rumors that it came out for about a week or two before that they they were thinking of exposing him, I wouldn't say that one was an absolute shock either. No, um, yeah, it's like anything else, right? You understand the arguments for and against. I think like what it essentially came down to for a lot of people is. Why would you protect Austin Watson at the expense of Evgeny Dadnov? And, you know, if you're just looking at it as like a fourth line player versus a guy who has the opportunity to play up the lineup, uh, whether it's a first, second, third line capacity. Yeah, like I, I can I can totally appreciate why people would raise those concerns. But at the same time, I think I think Ottawa has done it by design. I don't know, like, you know, you see some galaxy brain suggestions that it's like you got to dangle something out there so that the organization doesn't possibly lose Joey Decord as the goaltender. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I think there's so many good goaltending options available uh, through the expansion draft that I, I don't think Seattle necessarily has to go down that route. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you just look at Evgeny Dadnov, the disappointing production, 
his age, his salary and everything else. Like I, I can understand if the organization wants to free up that 5 million, right? If they have designs on going and, and reallocating that money to another player or players to address other areas of need beyond right wing, because Connor Brown had a fantastic season last year. Drake Batherson had a fantastic season last year on the right side. Um, I, I don't mind it. Like, I think, you know, I, I would have put Zaitsev out there as well. Like, I, I think there, there's a couple guys on this on this team, and it's kind of just like a byproduct of where they've finished in the standings the last couple of years. Like, they just don't have that many desirable expansion players, and that's not a knock on the franchise. It's just they're going through a rebuild right now. So a lot of the good young players that they have, just you don't have to worry about protecting because they're exempt. So I, I don't know. I, I would have liked to see them maybe protect uh, our you know, not protect some of the expensive guys like Zaitsev, obviously like throw him out there, see if Seattle takes him, reallocate that money if you can. Um, but yeah, like to see Dadnov out there, I'm not surprised at all. And it's going to be interesting to see what Seattle does. Cause I'm not, I don't really know what they're going to do. Like maybe they go off the board, take an Abramov. who's a young player who has like a little bit of upside. Although some people are down on his, on his NHL uh, forecast because he's going to the KHL for the next two years. Maybe they do take a goaltender. Maybe they take an Anton Forsberg. Maybe they take a Joey Decord because they want to supplement their farm system because they don't have that many draft picks yet. You know, like this is their first year drafting. So it's going to be really fascinating to see what route they go down, you know, and and we're just kind of sitting, waiting, waiting to see what happens. Yeah, I think there's a lot to get into there too, where, um, you know, I definitely agree. I I would have exposed Zaitsev and, um, you know, I was really, really hoping that they were going to trade for a third defenseman that they could protect, to be honest. Um, And it sounds like they were kind of shopping around and looking for a couple names and just nothing came to fruition and a hey, forward too, right? Like yeah, you, can, exactly. you can make the same argument for, you know, protecting Watson. I think that's, you know, if there is any disappointment uh, from what the approach that they took, I think that's probably it, right? Like you see some of the names available, like the ones that Tampa Bay explores, like Yanni Gord. And there's some good talent across the league that was made available. So you look at some of that talent, you're like, well, maybe Ottawa could have, you know, thrown a pick at them to, to flip them Ottawa's way. But I think, for a lot of those teams, it probably came down to the fact that, you know, they're going to lose one player. They don't want to lose two. Right. And I think that's probably, that probably plays into it a little bit, but I don't think they can announce side deals until tomorrow night. Right. At the draft. So like, we don't, we don't really know contextually what's going on yet. I'm sure there's going to be some more dominoes to fall and then uh, things can get really interesting soon. Absolutely. And the other option is, you know, maybe even Ottawa trades for someone that the Kraken took from another team or something like that. And, um, yeah, like I, I'm not, um, I'm definitely not down on their off season or anything like that just yet. It would have been nice, obviously, to see them use their space, but um, you know, I'm glad to hear that they were kind of exploring. There was a bunch, a flurry of moves that were made, obviously, right before that roster freeze the other day, and um, by all accounts, they were at least in discussions with some of them. And you know, I, I saw a lot of people that were. Um, I think disappoints the right word, not like uh, totally angry or anything like that. But, you know, when uh, Nolan Patrick uh, got flipped for um, Cody Glass, I know that's kind of the the names that have been thrown out for, you know, it sounds like Logan Brown might be on the move, just reading the tea leaves from a couple of the insiders in the Ottawa market here. And, um, you know, again, I don't know. I would, I'd love to see Logan Brown work out here, but if you're going to flip them, I think that's what it's going to be. And I saw a little couple of people disappointed that Ottawa wasn't in on the moves. And again, it would have been nice, but at the same time, sometimes 
crap just doesn't work out. You know, it, it takes two sides to tangle there. And, you know, oh, for sure. Yeah. There, like, there's time, right? Like it's, no, they could have been have, doing we, all they could, but yeah, exactly. We have no idea what kind of trade conversations were, were or not had. Right. But you can only judge people based off the work that actually gets done. And that's just, that's the nature of the business, unfortunately. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, going back to the Stadinoff thing, I'm just, I'm super curious to see how it plays out because, um, you know, I, I think there is a chance that he doesn't get taken by the Kraken. Um, I, I think he, he right now would be my best guess. I could, I could still see them go on the Joey Decord route where they take Decord as more of a third goalie. You, you did like, you made a great point that there's a, a ton of good goaltending options out there, but you know, we see with, uh, I mean, Carrie price, that's going to be an interesting situation, but if they deem he's, he's hurt, like I had Jake Allen as a shoe in for a Seattle pick there, because I just thought that made the absolute most sense. And now, you know, now that he's hurt, like I, I personally wouldn't be taking price with that contract. And if he's, you know, he's already had an injury history. I think he's 33 years old. And if he's got multiple more that he's going to need surgery on, I just personally, I wouldn't be touching that, but I could see them go to the decord route, but then, you know, even on this Ottawa senators roster, like if they took Chris Tierney, it wouldn't shock me. You know, we saw, we saw the Golden Knights take a lot of one-year deals and, uh, you know, it helped guy. I mean, I don't know. It depends how much stock you put into it. I think some guys were definitely playing for a contract. You see guys play harder for a contract. But the other side of that, too, is if you take a guy like Chris Tierney, maybe they retain a million dollars on him, flip him to a team for 2.5. Chris Tierney at 2.5 looks a lot better than Chris Tierney at 3.5. And, you know, that that's an option for them, too. So I definitely think that it's – um there's definitely no slam dunk pick here from the Ottawa senators, but whoever they lose, I, I think just generally speaking, they will be in good shape going forward. Yeah. I just, I, I have a hard time believing that Chris Tierney has a lot of inherent trade value. Even if you, even if you eat some of that salary, it's just, there's so many like third and fourth line players who make less money than he does, you know, and, and you look down the middle, you got like Max Domi available, uh, Yanni Gourd, like eventually you're going to get to a point where it's going to be, well, how much room do we have for a Chris Tierney type? And, you know, you do need serviceable veterans. So, yeah, maybe he is an option. It just seems like, you know, if you're trying to build this from the ground up, you want that kind of young, projectable upside if you're going to roll the dice down down your roster, right? And I just don't know. Like, I could see them going in, like, a Jake Bean direction, you know, like rolling the dice on young guys like that as opposed to, like, Nino Niederreiter in Carolina. But I, for Ottawa's sake, I, it's, I, I feel like it's Joey Decord or it's going to be dad enough. Yeah. And I mean, it's really interesting because we've heard a lot and they have a huge analytics front office already one of the bigger ones in the league. So it's no doubt that, and, you know, we've seen their GM already work with analytics guys real well in Carolina to build a really nice core there before he left. So I don't think it's a surprise that this, they sound to be approaching this pretty smart. And there's been a lot of rumors that, um, you know, they probably will go pretty cheap in the expansion draft and um, use a, keep a lot of that cap space. Because I, I think, you know, we've heard how many times have we heard, oh, GMs won't make the same mistake as last time of giving up the extra stuff for, for what they did with Vegas, right? But I think the way to get around that, if you're Seattle, is okay, you're not going to give us a pick right away. But come August, come uh, September, when you're still under that cap crunch, yeah, then we'll take your uh, Tyler Johnson for a first round pick or whatever, you, you know what I mean? And that's just one example, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go, they have to hit the cap floor, obviously. So they got to get to 60 million at the expansion draft, but I wouldn't be shocked if they're not very close to the ceiling so that they can take on, you know, a, a contract or two down the road here. And, and that's how they try and accumulate some more assets. And 
again, I think that probably favors then, you know, maybe a decord being taken from Ottawa, but at the same time, like I, I really do think that Sens fans are, and understandably he had a bad first year, but I think Sens fans are pretty low on Dadanov. And I think the uh, potential for him there, even on this contract is still much higher than what we've seen. For sure. And I think like Ian Mendez touched upon it in his article when he was discussing um, the, the players who are protected and available uh, from Ottawa's side. And, and Dadnov has a connection to the Kraken already, right? Like they just hired Paul McFarland, uh, who was an assistant coach in Florida with the Dadnov. And he ran the power play where Dadnov was actually really effective. And, you know, I think you're right. A lot of people probably look at Dadnov's year in Ottawa and they, they see zero power play goals, one power play assist. And they're down on him. But I think if you look at his big picture numbers, like he, when he was on the ice, he didn't hurt Ottawa. He didn't do as much as people were hoping for, but he didn't hurt Ottawa. And, you know, everybody has a tendency to look at the goals and the assists and, and the numbers that you find on the back of a hockey card. But, um, you know, there's, he's a good candidate for regression. If he stays, I think there's a chance that he could bounce back and have a way more productive year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've been, it's like it's to the point where I try not I'm actively trying not my like my best to not talk about it on Twitter anymore because it's like I just feel like a broken record when I go through it but yeah like he was like a top three among all sense forwards in, in all year in expected goals Corsi four at five on five stuff like that and you know for guys who have played I think it was I said the cutoff at 30 games is about half the year but you know like it's and I think he finished the year I'm looking it up right now I think he had like seven or nine assists on the year like that's just, I'm sorry. That's just not going to happen. Seven assists in 55 games. Like he just, he created way more than that. And I don't even think you need stats to tell you that. Like the whole idea that he was this brutal guy by the eye test either. I just don't see it. Like when I watched, I saw a guy who there was a couple of times in the year, I think he was definitely frustrated and he would have been served well to just kind of take a deep breath and, you know, think about it, but that happens, you know, new team, new year, you want to perform and it's frustrating, but I, I found a guy, you know, who would, he do. I thought he did a great job at crashing the net at times, putting a rebound there and just, it didn't get cleaned up for whatever reason. And, you know, I think some of that's just pure bad luck. And, you know, if two or three of those go in and he gets, you know, a couple extra secondary assists, suddenly he's up to 14, 15 assists in 55 games and people aren't complaining about his point totals on the year near as much. And again, you can look at that as well. If you needed all that to go right. But the other way to look at it is like, if the difference between six assists in 55 games is we need to get this guy off the team at all costs. And this guy's a useful player, then, you know, maybe you can look at the the luck aspect a little more. So I'm very curious to see, you know, what Dadenov does. I, I hope that, you know, if he doesn't get taken that he can find his role here because uh, you know, I, I think he was a very useful second or third line player. And um, you know, you touched on Connor Brown. I don't think it's a guarantee Connor Brown is an automatic top six forward this coming year. Like, and I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Like if he, you know, goes back to that really good possession third line guy who just doesn't score 25 goals or whatever, or 20 goals or whatever it was in the shortened season, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, I, I don't know if it's a shoe in that Connor Brown's going to be able to do what he did last year either. No, and at some point you're probably going to expect a little regression in shooting percentage as well. But I think the interesting thing with Connor Brown is like when he generates chances, he often was the kind of guy who just wouldn't bury them, right? Like he would get a ton of chances just through uh, through his sheer work and, and two-way play. Like he would create his own chances. He just couldn't. It was like almost like watching Eric Condra at times where he just couldn't bury the chances that he actually created for himself. And I, I think in like the tail end of that season and actually I guess from like the midway point on, like he just heated up and just went on a real heater and he started burying those chances and you saw the percentages swing the other way. And 
maybe he falls somewhere in the middle. Maybe he wasn't as good as we saw towards the tail end of last season, but you know, he's not as bad of a, of a non-scorer, I guess you could say well at the beginning, like he maybe somewhere in between and maybe you can bank on him for 20 plus goals a season. If you know, things just normalize a little bit for him. Yeah. I think that'd be a huge development. You know, is it something I'm personally betting on? Probably not. But at the same time, I, I don't think it, matters like it's not uh the sun season next year is in do or die on connor brown being a 25 goal guy over an 82 game season and you know um but you know he, he's got to be a 15 goal guy i would say especially if they're gonna get rid of dadnov and connor brown's taking that top six role and you know they have other guys in the organization that'll be you know pushing behind too but i you know it, it's one of those things where I'm really curious to see what the expectations are heading into next year. And I think we can touch on this later too, when we're going through, you know, what we want to see in free agency, but um, you know, the, the Sens division is going to be tough again next year. Like they had, they had the benefit of playing in, you know, one of the weaker divisions this year. It wasn't the, the North wasn't this joke that I think other people tried to make it in the media, maybe at times where it was the weakest thing in the world, but there's no doubt that there was the Toronto Maple Leafs were a very good regular season team. And then by the end of the season, Winnipeg, Montreal, Calgary, and Vancouver were all trying to actively lose games, it felt like. And so, you know, Ottawa got a bump in that. But now they have Tampa back in the division, Boston back in the division. You can even throw Florida in that mix. Um, to expect them to just keep naturally improving in the, the standings, that might not happen next year. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, where, how they align players, you know, what they expect of players going into this off season. And I think the moves that they make this summer will kind of give us a good idea of that too, where they think they see guys like Connor Brown, you know? Oh, for sure. And it really depends on a couple of things, right? Like you're looking for internal growth. You're looking for a lot of growth from the young kids. That's where, when you look at this roster, like that is where it's going to come from. If this team's going to get better, it's going to be like Josh Norris takes another step. Shane Pinto takes another step. Alex Formanton takes a huge step and becomes a good NHL regular. Um, Brady Kachuk could play better uh, and finish more of the chances that he generates. Like there's opportunity and Tim Stutzel, right? And he was probably the most dynamic of that group. Um, there's huge opportunity there for those kids to get uh, better and improve and just put up more points, get better defensively and just get used to playing in the league and, and becoming like good NHL regulars. And, and, you know, this isn't their first go at it anymore. They've been through it. So you should expect some growth from those guys, but sometimes that doesn't happen right away. Right. Sometimes it takes like two years before these guys really two, three years before these guys really hit their stride. And goaltending is the other component of that. Right. Like Matt Murray was absolutely a, terrible last year one of the worst goaltenders in the league over the last two seasons if he bounces back and i know you take that with a grain of salt but like if he just plays as a league average goaltender that makes ottawa's goaltending a lot better than what we saw last year they'll, they'll capture more points there is you know that will help them improve in the standings but they need help right i, I think if you roll in with the same group that they had last year um playing against the teams that they're going to wind up playing against uh regularly um they just need a little bit more support and the delicate balance of finding that support is not hamstringing yourself three, four years down the road. Um, but not over at the same time, you don't want to overpay for guys who can only help you for a year or two. So it's kind of struggling to find like the right mix of a guy who can help you right away, but isn't prohibitively expensive, or it's paying a better, better price to get a guy who can help you in years three, four, five, and who can grow with this young core. And, and, to me, I think this is probably one of the biggest, most fascinating off seasons in recent Senators history. I wrote about this a while ago, uh, a few weeks ago, but it really, you know, uh, for a team that wants to compete 
and show something in the next year or two, like this is kind of a show me moment and you're going to get an idea of what this organization's process is because in years past, you look at last off season, right? Like the guys that they brought in to help make this team better. Didn't make this team better at all. Made it worse. They were all left available in the expansion draft. And maybe that's why Pierre Maguire was brought in is, is to help kind of curb some of those uh, judgment decisions that are being made on professional level players. But I, I find that actually kind of really interesting because, you know, if you look at data and, and scouting and everything else, like the guys who are in the NHL should be the easiest players to evaluate because you have so much uh, video evidence. You have so many scouts just watching these guys play. You have data like piles of data on the, uh, available on these players. Like there shouldn't be, you're, you're going to miss eventually, right? You can't, you can't always like win your trades or hit home runs on every single player that you acquire. Like some guys are going to regress. Some guys are going to go through injuries and, and other stuff that we just don't see uh, unless you're behind the scenes. But at the same time, like you should be able to mitigate the risks a lot better than the centers have in recent years. And if, if this off season, if they keep making similar mistakes, and I hope they don't, but if you keep making similar mistakes, you're going to kind of be like left asking yourself, well, like what the hell's going on here? Because you can't, for all the good that this organization's done over the last couple of years, like avoiding big contracts to bet guys who've just aged horribly. Uh, you know, like we all know who they are, right? Like Matt Deshaies and Ryan Dezingle. They, they've avoided some bullets and you can't undermine the good things that this organization has done by acquiring all these young players and, and just hamstring with bad contracts and just veterans who don't move the needle and other stuff like at some t- at some point, if if they're not going to really spend the cap, if they're not going to be the team, Eugene Melnick says they will. But if they don't, you have to manage your money well. You have to make really smart decisions. You have to make shrewd trades. And I just haven't seen enough of that consistently to have a lot of confidence in the organization. And maybe Pierre Maguire can change that. And maybe we'll talk about that later in the show. But just from that perspective alone, I think that makes this offseason really, really intriguing because there are some different wrinkles in the mix. And I think there's a ton of pressure on Pierre Dorian to kind of right the ship a little bit and prove that he can make some of those big big trades to like shore up this team and, and not overpay with prospect and draft pick capital to do it. Yeah, and I honestly, like I think that this is, I think last season was obviously the biggest offseason that the Sens have had just from, you know, how dynamic that draft was for franchise changing reasons, obviously bringing in Stutzel and then Jake Sanderson as well. But, um, you know, I think this offseason is going to be the biggest determining factor in showing us can Pierre Dorian learn from his mistakes. And, you know, by that, I mean, oddly enough, the, the biggest mistake probably, you know, you look at from last season, I would argue just in terms of money wise is the Dadnov contract. And that's the one I will still defend all day long. You know, I thought that was a fine risk. I still do. Like he could be a non NHL player next year. And it's like, well, you have one more year and he's off the books. Thank God for that. You kept it the three, but three years. And that's why I thought the, the deal was a smart one to take a, a swing at, you know, a, a high end player who, you know, you didn't pay him too much and you didn't give him term. And, you know, that's the one mistake I'm open to forgiving the, the mistakes I'm not is, routinely going after just not good NHL players like Erica Branson. And I get they're good in the room, but there's only so much good in the room you can bring in before you need to start acquiring actual NHL talent. So, you know, like this year, the right side is still got a gaping hole on it, you know, and we know that they are going to be looking for a right-handed defenseman to try and be that Shabbat partner. I like, to me, this is going to be the biggest, I like difference maker as Pierre Dorian learned that, 
again, a good Branson and Oduya, like just go down the list of names that they brought in on the right. Ron Hainsey, like those guys are not what you should be targeting right now. Can you go find someone else, whether that's Shabbat partner or you put them on a second pair or maybe even the third pair where he really shores that up. Ideally a second, obviously, but you know, maybe they view Zub as, as uh, uh, Shabbat's partner going forward, but this is going to be the biggest offseason to really tell if they've learned from some of those mistakes in years past and, and can try and find some new NHL talent because that's the, the biggest thing that they've been struggling with is really identifying good NHL pro talent and, I don't know if that's just a lack of front office, if that's been bad luck or bad philosophy, or, you know, maybe a mix of a bit of a mix of all of it, but this off season really needs to change from some of the past ones. If they want to see, um, you know, a big jump forward. It's funny that you say that. Cause I actually think like the signings, like good Branson and going out and getting like bring Coburn and, and pocket. I think those are like some of the more defensible ones. I know like you're, you don't want to talk about intangibles and overpaying for intangibles and everything else. But at the same time, I think, you know, if the design of this season was to miss the playoffs, get a really high pick, um, acquiring those players kind of PR wise puts out the optics that like, okay, we're trying, we're trying to get these NHL players to play. They're on short-term deals. No one really cares. Um, they're just, they're just placeholders, right. For a year. Like they're kind of, it's kind of masquerading the fact that, you're trying, but you're not really trying. And, and I think the their NHL players are going to help you lose games, right? The, yeah, the Paquette and Coburn one is super defensible because you got picks for that. I just, I don't know. To, to me, identifying a player and going up and giving an actual draft asset for a guy who, let's be honest, was a disaster on the ice. It's just, I, I don't think that's great asset management. And that, that's what kind of worries me. But, you know, again, maybe they just looked at it and I think it was a fifth for good Branson. They say, we got a bunch of picks. And we're not going to do that now that we've moved forward. And if that's the case, then that's great. So be it. Um, but, you know, that, again, I, I haven't seen it yet, so I haven't I, I'm not going to believe it. But if that change comes this summer, I, I think that'll be a, a sigh of relief for for sure me. But I'm sure other Sens fans, too. For sure. Uh, and I don't expect them to go out and find guys like Erica Brandt and find those intangible players. I think the organization's made a point of going out uh, publicly this summer and saying, uh, we're, we're going to get guys who can help us win. Like we're kind of, we're past that stage in our franchise's development where we're targeting these young guys who can help kind of lead the way for a year or two, be placeholder types. We're going to try and go ahead and get guys who can help us win games. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess this is a great uh, segue into, you know, who we want to see them actually go target this off season, because uh, it feels like anytime a name is thrown around and there's been a lot of names thrown around before this roster freeze, obviously, uh, sense where it's like, oh, this would be a great fit. That'd be a great fit. Um, you know, I, I think their most obvious need is right defense. Uh, I don't think that's any of us, any secret at all. And then I would say their second biggest need is probably down the middle. Now, I think down the middle will more depend on what they want to do with Stutzel this year. Uh, if they see him as a long-term center or if they'd rather keep him at left wing. I don't really have a strong opinion either way, but um, you know, is there anyone you really want to see them uh, target in this free agent class or via trade either? I think ideally if they could find a right defenseman who could play uh, on the second pairing, you move Artem Zub up to play with Shabbat and then you bump Zaitsev down to the third pairing. I think that would probably be the best thing that could happen. Uh, Whether that happens, I doubt it because the organization seems to be infatuated with Nikita Zaitsev's defensive aptitude. Um, even though he spends most of his time defending in his own end because he struggles to transition the puck. Um, 
I just feel like that's a huge, that's a huge need that they'll have to address. And maybe like Jacob Bernard doc could be that guy in a year or two, but I don't know if he's there right now yet. Um, David Savard shares an agent with Thomas Shabbat. Maybe that's an option for the organization to pursue. Um, you know, you talked about the center position. It feels like the center position that we're discussing this year is kind of akin to what it was last year with Josh Norris, right? Like you're, you're waiting for him. He's played a really high level at the AHL level. Um, and you're kind of waiting to see what he can do. You're almost afraid that he's not ready, right? And as we saw over the course, like once they gave him more responsibility and he, he got comfortable in the league, like he kind of took off. He took off. He had a rough maybe first 10 games. And then he just took off from there. And this year it feels like we're having the same conversation about adding a center. But instead of, instead of Josh Norris, it's Shane Pinto. Right. And I think he showed in a small sample size last year that he's capable of playing a two way game. And I don't necessarily see centers as much of a position of need because, you know, you have Josh Norris, you have Shane Pinto, you have a Colin White. All these guys have played minutes at the NHL level. Like they've all played. Like maybe you have concerns that Shane Pinto hasn't done it over the course of a full year. But for me, I'm more risk averse in the sense that I don't want to see a good young player be boxed out of more opportunity and responsibility that he might be able to handle. You're just not sure if he's able to at this point, but you know, in the what handful 10, 15 games that Pinto played last year, I didn't see any reason why they, they need to shelter him. If you need to shelter him, play Colin white there for, for a little bit. Like, I just don't want to see them overpay for a short-term asset. And Brian Strom's name has been kicked around recently by Andy Strickland. Um, I just don't want to see them pay overpay like for another Derek Stepan type or, or equivalent where, um, you know, you're giving up some draft pick capital for a guy who's here on a short-term deal. Who's just, he's not part of the future. He's just here to be a placeholder. And, you know, Ryan Strom is a good player. He's not a great player. He's not going to move the needle much. And, you know, I wrote about it in my column today that, um, he's a guy who's had a lot of production and, great performance playing alongside Artemi Pernair in, in New York. And it's a concern. It's a huge concern. It's almost similar to how like Dadnov flourished playing alongside Huberto and Barkov in Florida. Right. Like, you know, I think Dadnov played okay when he was away from those guys and he wasn't, he didn't hurt Ottawa last year, but the concern, the real concern is like Ryan Strom might just not be a difference maker for this team. So why, why even bother targeting or wasting assets to acquire a guy like that? That's just, it's not that he's a bad player. It's just he's not a guy who really moves the needle for him. No, without Artemi Panarin, all his numbers have suggested he's closer to a third-line player than anything else. You know, maybe maybe a fringe 2C guy. But again, like, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think this is, you know, when I say center's a position of need, if they want to make the playoffs this year, I think center's a position of need. I, I don't – and, you know, and, and maybe Pinto does take that step. But I, I think, you know, if they – if it's – and this is where I just, I'm so torn because I don't think it needs to be playoffs or bust this year. I think that is uh, overstepping or overshooting, you know, if they make a playoff push, if they're right in that mix, that's awesome. That's sweet. But, you know, personally, and I think you probably feel the same way. 
I'd rather see them be in that playoff mix because you see massive steps, even unexpected steps from someone like Shane Pinto. And that's why you're in the playoff mix a little sooner than you thought. Not because you went out and you bought a bunch of 28 year olds who are holding your rookies down and also just kind of playing one or two years here before they get kicked out or you have to overpay them or whatever. Right. And, you know, Nazem Kadri has been another name that's been kicked around. Now it sounds like Colorado probably isn't going to let him go, but at the same time, like there's another guy where I just feel like, he has not been what people think he was for the past couple of years for a year or two now. And I just feel like if you bring him in at this point, like what's the end game? Because I just don't see a reasonable contract extension that makes sense for both him and Ottawa going forward. So, and that's um, a rub, right? Because if you bring, if you bring in an impending unrestricted free agent, you're essentially giving that player all the leverage in the world. Because if you're going to re-sign that guy, he knows you have to pay the price to get him because he gave him so many assets to bring him in in the first place. Yeah, and it just kind of puts them in a bad position because it's like, you know, yeah, like obviously you want to improve your team this year, but improving your team this year and then having to sign a bad four or five-year contract to hurt your team in three or four years when you should be legitimately in your cup window you know, that's just a short-term view that, you know, I, I don't think they can have. So um, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, you mentioned Savard on, on the right side, that's definitely someone I in my eye on, you know, I think just looking at the free agent market, especially on the right side, it's a little barren. So, you know, I think if they don't go with like a Savard, it might have to be via trade and off the top of my head, I don't really have anyone like that, but yeah, I think if there's one, one place you want to go, um, to shore up your depth it's probably the right side and you can find and again I don't think they need to bring in a UFA with one year on their contract if you can find a guy with two or three years who's kind of right in that 26 to 28 year old age or you know maybe even a little younger that, that's fine like I that's totally good with me too but um, you know it, it sounds like JBD is going to start in the minors which sure I, I don't know I, I don't feel super, super passionately one way or the other, but um, yeah, it depends. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how they balance going for it this year, quote unquote, where it sounds like they really want to make a playoff push and, you know, not risking anything for the future because, you know, you, you need to still develop these guys as, as exciting as last year was getting even more young guys in the lineup and getting them playing time is going to be just as crucial going forward as, you know, the same four or five guys we saw last year. Yeah. And, and, you know, you talked about Bernard Docker, like you're never going to adversely affect a prospect's development by having to play in the NHL for a while, unless it's just an absolute gong show of an organization in your minor league system. But um, yeah, like playing Bernard Docker down there is not going to be the end of the world. And it's, it's, it's going to be interesting because uh, you know, what happens if Bernard Docker winds up just tearing up the AHL, not necessarily from a point production standpoint, but he just winds up being like a really good uh, defensive defenseman who can play two ways and, and he can generate a little bit of offense. Like what do you, at what point do you bring him up? And then, you know, all of a sudden, if you box him out of a job with whomever that you're acquiring, you know, who's, who's coming out of the lineup to, to fit, maybe an injury happens and it opens the door for him, but it's it's going to be really interesting, especially, you know, like we haven't talked about Victor Mete and and Branstrom as well. Like Ottawa, I could conceivably see add a second pairing left defenseman and slide one of those guys into the third pairing role. And then one of those guys is your seventh defenseman. I could totally conceivably see that happen as well. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. You know, I if they wanted to upgrade their team, that's one way they could look because, you know, I, it's a 
easier to come by left-hand defenseman as well than it is right. Just generally speaking, I mean, you're still going to pay a pretty good price for any defenseman, but um, you know, I personally would be okay running down the left with uh, um, Branstrom Mete on the second, third pair. And obviously Shabbat's not, he's not coming off that top pair uh, unless it's an injury that drags him off of it. But yeah, I, I think just given what we saw to them at the end of the year last year, I'd be quite okay with them going there. And um, you know, Sanderson's another interesting name because I would imagine once Sanderson's college season is done, they're going to want to see what he looks like in the last 20 games in the NHL. Now it depends where the team is too, you know, maybe they're on a a playoff push and they decide, or maybe the AHL team's on a playoff push and they decide it's better for Sanderson to get big minutes in the AHL. I don't know, but he's definitely a name that, you know, I would say by earliest next year, they're going to be hope fans are going to be hoping to see at least part-time in the NHL. So, um, you know, if you acquire a guy on the left side, how much term can he have? Because if you're already pushing one of Branstrom and Meteo this year, do you do the same thing next year? And then at that point, what do you do with them? Because it, it feels like a waste of a couple pretty promising assets, even, you know, if someone like Branstrom isn't quite what he was hyped up to be, I, I think he still has the makings of a pretty solid NHL player. And, you know, uh, Pierre Dorian was on um, uh, uh, the Future Sickos podcast um, last week, I believe it was. And, you know, one of the big st- t- talking points he said was that Branchum's still 22. And, um, you know, I think people forget that. And granted, uh, the peak isn't 28 like it, you, people used to think, but a 22-year-old in the NHL is not the easiest job in the world. And it's still very possible to learn from there. So uh, I'm very curious to see, you know, on this blue line, what they do, because again, much like the four core, it's going to be a, a balance of how do you improve your team this year, but don't handicap yourself for the end of this year and going forward. Yeah. And I think that's when names like Mete, Brandstrom and like Logan Brand will come in. I think those are like the chips that they'll try and use maybe to like augment their team without like just decimating the prospect pool or, or drop a capital. Right. Like I, I think, I, I don't know what the trade return on a Brandstrom would be, but I imagine they might be able to find other young players who could fit if they're not really convinced that he can be a top four guy. Yeah. Well, and I don't know about defensemen, but I'll throw a name out that I really want Ottawa to see uh, look at. And again, I don't even know what his cost would be, but I could see a branch and package at least starting around. And that's Connor Garland uh, from the Arizona Coyotes. Now he plays left wing and right wing. So it's not, I would argue the wings aren't exactly as in need of, uh, you know, an upgrade, but again, maybe that's a player where if Dadanov gets snagged in the expansion draft and you feel you got an open spot on your right wing and, you know, you have a surplus of left-handed defensemen, you know, maybe there's a move to be made there where, you know, you go get a guy who's in Garland, who's got pretty good underlying numbers. He's 25 years old. He's an RFA. I don't think he'll cost a ton. You know, he's not going to be dirt cheap or anything like that either, but I, you know, you can get him probably for a reasonable price. And he had 39 points in 49 games last year. So, and 39, 68 the year before. So, you know, I think at worst, he's kind of a 40, 45 point guy. And, you know, maybe that's the trade market where they kind of look for, a 22 to 25 year old RFA for a, a Branstrom return. And maybe you have to throw a pick on that on top. I don't really, like, I have no idea what Branstrom's value would be on the league right now. I think for Garland, you definitely would have to add something, but yeah, maybe that's the way they look where they try and flip one of their 22, 23 year olds and, and see what value they got left out of them. Yeah. And Dylan Strom's another name I kind of kicked around in my head a little bit as well. Like I think, you know, if we're talking the Strom brothers, I think he's the younger um he's a younger he's a younger guy and there's a lot more in terms of his underlying numbers and and the opportunity for more production i think and opportunity cost to acquire him i think that's probably a better route to go than than going after ryan and 
I don't know, would a Branscom get a deal done there or Logan Brown and something else? I don't know. I have no idea, but it, maybe it's a starting point. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of stuff I'd be quite okay with seeing them try, you know, like, because I, I think, you know, as much as we talk, you don't want to block your own prospects. If you're picking up guys who are 23, 24 years old, well, you're not really blocking them because it's not 32 year olds that are playing in front of them. You know, it's still guys who are also in their peak and, you know, maybe even at some point still growing. And so, um, you know, that that's the big difference there. I think if someone's asking, well, how are we okay with, you know, getting one of the, a, a scrum or a, um, a Garland versus, you know, someone who's going to block JPD on the right side, I would say that's the biggest area, but um, you know, the, the other interesting spot this year is going to be a 10th overall pick at the draft. Um, I'll admit I'm not a massive prospects guy. I've been, you know, kind of reading up on some of the players this year and uh, I've come to the conclusion that I don't really care who they select. I am. Uh, I'm just excited to see who they take. Um, you know, my philosophy when it comes to the draft is take the best player available and kind of regardless of what your organization has, you know, I think teams can get into trouble sometimes when they're drafting for need, you know, if they only have, if they feel they already have a certain amount of one player or the other, but um, you know, is there anyone you want to see them take at that 10th overall range, or, you know, are you someone who wants to see them trade down or even trade the pick for a roster player, you know, kind of what we've been talking about, but with a bigger asset. I, I think my personal preference is for them just to be patient. Obviously, like, I don't know what kind of names or, or talents available right now for Ottawa to consider trading that 10th overall selection for. I, if they do trade a top 10 pick, obviously it's got to be a significant asset, the return. So um, I'm going to, I'm just going to say like, I'm, I'm, I won't, I won't say don't trade it because maybe there's someone who's really good available. Um, at the same time, you know, I, I've talked to Scott Wheeler from the athletic. I've talked to uh, will scouch from scouching.ca and they've preached just how fluid this draft is. Like there could be a lot of movement. Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of the familiar names up in the top 10, top 15, top 20, but it might not necessarily be in the order that you anticipate. So the goaltenders could go earlier than you, than you think they would. Um, some defenseman, the order of the defenseman might go differently. And someone, you know, it just takes a couple teams to really like a certain particular player for great players to fall through the crack. Like, I think even if you look at last last year, for example, like Cole Perfetti was a name that was being kicked around as like a potential top five pick, and he fell to Winnipeg. And the same thing could happen this year with someone when the Senators are picking a 10. So I think that's the best case scenario. You get the most talented player available at 10. And like, I'm not, I'm not a prospect guy. I don't watch a lot of these guys in Europe and, or in junior, you know, I'll watch the highlight reels that everybody else watches on YouTube. And, you know, I'll talk to some of the scouts just through the podcasts and, and everything else. But uh, I don't have like a great informed opinion of who or they should or should not take, but uh, there's lots of great information out there. And, you know, those two guys that I just mentioned, if, if your listeners have an opportunity to go check out their work, I'd highly recommend it. It's, they're great. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it feels like around this time, there's always great stuff to read. And uh, the cool thing about this time too, especially if you're someone who's not as into prospects is, uh, reading a whole bunch of different people I found has tried to give me a, a good perspective, you know, and maybe even people you don't necessarily agree with, you know, like, um, you know, personally, I don't agree with a lot of what someone like Craig Button has to say about maybe pro pro NHL stuff. And, you know, I, I don't mean that as a personal thing. I just don't necessarily agree all the time, but I really enjoy reading his prospect work because at the end of the day, everyone brings a different viewpoint on something. And when it comes to something as niche as prospects where, you know, it's, 
there's not near as much data. It's a lot of the eye test, obviously, you know, they're in, in minor leagues, we don't have near as much of the data as we do in the NHL. It, I just think it's really good to get a bunch of different opinions. So, you know, if anyone's ever wondering, you know, how to approach that, I've always found that, um, you know, reading as much as you can, and as many different people as you can, can be a great work, you know, and, um, for this draft, I think I'm, I'm really curious to see, and obviously we won't be able to know this for years to come, but I, I'm really curious to see if the lack of um, scouting this year, just from being able to see people in person, if that makes as much of a difference as, you know, some of the scouts to say it might. And, you know, if some of those high end talents or not even high end, but just some talents we don't really have on the radar right now, drop into the later first round, maybe even second or third rounds, you know, like um, it, it could be wide up in the open. And that's why I think, you know, if they, if the players they really were in love with get taken early and there's not a guy they absolutely love at 10, if they want to trade down, I think this would be the perfect opportunity to recoup some more draft assets. They have six draft, uh, picks total in this draft. They have two in round two, one in round three, and one in round one. So, um, you know, it's not like they need a ton more prospects, but you can never have too many prospects. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really curious to see how the draft shakes out. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to enjoying it more than anything. You know, I, I don't want to, get too caught up in all oh, they took this guy and didn't take this guy. I just feel like overreactions on draft day almost always burn you. And you can critique the way teams do and don't draft, but um, you know, having just like really strong, super passionate reactions on one day, I think a, a lot of fans have found out that uh, that can come back to bite you at times. Oh, for sure. And everybody will look back at like Don Brennan's Eric Carlson column. Uh, or just even- you know, Brady Kachuk too. Like, that's a great yeah. one, I think, right? Brady like, Kachuk, and if you want to go back further, like Matt Zeltek was an old Ottawa 67 guy who was, he was projected going around the same spot where Ottawa drafted Marion Hosa. So that raised like a little bit of like consternation as well um, back in back in the day. But uh, it, it happens all the time, right? Everybody's an armchair scout and uh, you can only watch so much hockey. So you kind of have to let guys make the picks. And I think, you know, looking looking at last year's draft i think ottawa took a lot of flack not necessarily for having a bad draft but they they got a lot of value with their picks and that's because they had a lot of picks and i think you know some prognosticators acknowledge that but at the same time they say well they did add value for sure but they could have added more value and you know it'll take a little bit of time to play out but i think the one intriguing thing about this year's draft is that some like the ohl didn't play this year you know, like you talk about guys not having an opportunity to show what they can do over the course of a full season. Uh, you look at some of the late bloomers, there is a real opportunity for some like hidden gems to be found in like the third, fourth, fifth rounds. Um, I don't care if people want to downplay this draft's quality or, or what have you, but every every year there's going to be guys sliding. But this year, more than any, I think just the dynamics around the pandemic and what it created, I think this year has a real opportunity for like for organizations that do the due diligence, uh, do a lot of data tracking, do all these cool things at the, at the amateur level. I think there's an opportunity for them to just reap, reap the benefits of that. And I'm kind of intrigued to see what Ottawa does, right? Cause they're more of a boots on the ground organization. So it's going to be really fascinating to look at how this draft shakes up. And even in last year's draft, like I think there's a real opportunity just to look back in like two, three years and evaluate what we got here. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, the, the biggest thing that always sticks out in my mind is just like even guys like Mark Stone were late bloomers in the in the thing. I think he was injured in his draft year a little bit, but, you know, and there were skating questions for sure. But like, just think about how many guys in this year's draft and from the OHL just didn't even get a chance to show how much they've grown from one year to the next. And, you know, how much that might make a guy slide where like we see guys 
who come into the year as like a sixth projected sixth round prospect go all the way up to the first or second round, you know, and that didn't happen last year for a couple leagues. And I would argue even the WHL and stuff that you did get to watch it uh, wasn't to its full potential either. Right. So um, I, I definitely think this draft is going to be one of the crazier ones in a while when we get to look back at it in a couple of years, but um, you know, I, I'm excited to see what they do because again, I, that, that future sickos podcast with Dorian on, it was a pretty, you know, informative one. I, I thought Dorian shared more than, more than I thought he would, to be honest. Like I, I thought he was pretty, uh, open on it. And obviously there's only so much you can say as a GM, you're not going to go give away all your state secrets, but you know, I, I believe he had alluded to, um, you know, maybe making a couple swings at you know, higher upside picks that I, I think they got criticized for not doing last year, a couple of times, you know, whether you look at that as um, the, the Tyler Clevin trade, I, I think sticks out in most people's minds. And right now I think Sens fans are fine with that. Um, at least how Clevin played this year, but um, yeah, it'll be really interesting just to see the kind of players they target because um, they have a, they have a mixed bag of prospects. I think it's very fair to say. Well, you, you're right. You kind of touched upon it, right? Like they seem to exhibit a preference for safe floor guys often uh, more often than not. And you know, it's a weird draft. So maybe they won't roll the dice on high upside guys. Maybe they'll take more of those safe floor players because you you want to ensure that you've got guys who can actually play and, and develop into professional players. You don't want busts. So maybe that works against them. Who knows? It, that's why it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be really, really cool to look back on like two years from now and say, okay, yeah, that's a home run pick. That's that was or, you know, it could be one of those situations where it's like, OK, why did we draft more safe floor guys? Yeah, it's going to be fun. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I guess the last thing we already kind of talked, you touched on a little bit. I haven't talked about the Pierre McGuire hire on my podcast, so let's do it now for a couple minutes. I don't have anything massive to say. I think if, you know, this would have been a week or two ago, I'd maybe have more. I've just kind of come to the feeling that, you know, I I want it to work out. I hope it works out. I I think – it, it's interesting for so many different reasons. Um, I think the biggest thing to say right off the bat is just because someone disagrees with a hire doesn't mean they want to see them fail. I, I find on Twitter so often, and obviously Twitter is kind of the worst for it, obviously, but there's just no nuance ever where it's like, if you say you don't like the hire, that doesn't mean I want to see Pierre Maguire fail. I, I hope that he makes great decisions and the Ottawa Senators go on to win endless Stanley Cups, right? But um, yeah, I just think... I'm a little worried. Uh, I, he's, he's been on radio a couple times since been hired and he's talked I, the uh, big quote he's had is boots on the ground or hard, hard boots on the ground. Scouting, I believe was the, the common phrase he used a couple times. And, you know, I, I don't have any problem with what he said. I think my biggest problem came with more the past two years of him just being aggressively anti-analytics and for a front office staff, that's already small. I, I don't think that's the way they should be going, but I also, you know, I, I, I want to know what you think too, because I, I've seen a couple times where already people reported that anti-analytics stuff might be more of a shtick that he put on for TV. Um, you know, do you think there's any truth to that? And, you know, just what, what are your thoughts on the McGuire hiring in general? Well, I don't know. The, I don't know the man personally, so I don't know if, if that's a shtick or not. Um, if, if people closer to him are saying that, then that's, that's obviously good. Hopefully that's true. Um, but I, you know, I, I share some reservations. I, I, you know, adding adding some to the front office is great. Mm-hmm. You know, like having more informed opinions. Um, one of the benefits of McGuire is that he's, you know, he's kind of an encyclopedia of knowledge, right? He's been around the game for a long time. He has a lot of connections. He knows a lot of people. 
um, and he can work those connections, right? And he's a different voice in the room. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think that has affected this organization negatively over the years is too many like-minded guys. You need different opinions in there. And, you know, you want guys to push back on, on certain things. And, you know, if you can come to a more informed decision because everybody has kind of like a different take on it and you get a bigger picture view of something before making the decision, ultimately, I think that'll help. And I think there is a real opportunity for McGuire to help. But I think at the same time, I have concerns that this is kind of McGuire getting his feet in the door. Like, I don't know what his ambitions are, but to me, this looks like a guy who could totally be the GM of the Ottawa Senators this, at this this time next summer if if things don't go the, the way Melnick wants them to go for, for Pierre Dorian. And that maybe that's not a bad thing either, but it just seems to me like I just feel like the, the intriguing thing about this hire is going to be the power dynamic between Dorian and McGuire. And I know that they're saying all the right things now. Of course, everybody always says all the right things during the offseason. But it's it's going to be truly interesting to see what happens if, if this team doesn't live up to the pressures of uh, improving expectations and meeting those expectations. If Matt Murray doesn't do well, if, if Evgeny Dadnov gets claimed and Ottawa goes out, makes another bad decision or a bad hire or a bad signing. Uh, it's just going to, you know, it, it, this season could kind of get away from Dorian a bit, I, I wonder. And, you know, you look at him, he, he's in the last year of his deal. Pierre Maguire's got more job security than, than Pierre Dorian in that, at this point, right? And that's kind of a weird dynamic when you look at a front office. And Ottawa's got one of the smallest front offices in the league. And you touched upon the analytics side of it. And, you know, I look at Pierre Maguire and I, and I can't help but wonder how expensive was Pierre Maguire to bring in? Like, you know, like he's a... You know, he's got cachet. He's a relatively big name hire. Maybe you might have um, suspicions about how much worth he can bring to a front office, but like he's probably going to be an expensive guy to bring in. Like he wouldn't just take this job on a whim. Right. And, you know, for him to kind of take this role and also kind of get some responsibilities that aren't really part of what that traditional role would be. Like all of a sudden he's supposed to be the communications guy who's going to, you know, articulate the organizations or the front office's message. Like to me, that's a, it's not a red flag, but if I'm Pierre Dorian, I'm kind of sweating a little bit, right? Because you're not the guy you're making the decisions, but you're not being the voice piece of it. So to me, that's just an interesting dynamic. And, you know, if, if struggles go on this season or like Pierre Dorian's contract status doesn't get resolved soon, it's going to be a weird kind of thing as the season plays out. Um, but again, like going back to Pierre Maguire's salary, like if we're talking dynamics at the front office and, and things I want to see, it's like, well, if Pierre Maguire comes in and he's a like-minded individual who's just more, you know, like boots on the ground, scouts in the stands, just watch the games. I'm, I'll be curious to know like how much more he can bring to what our Ottawa already has, or like what kind of dynamic changes, like hopefully he's a different voice. Hopefully he's a positive influence. Hopefully he does a lot of good while he's here, but at the same time, if he is an expensive hire, and this is one of the smallest front offices in the league, could you have reallocated that money in a better way than just hiring Pierre McGuire? And, you know, if he's making like 1 million, 1.5 million a season or more, that's a lot of that's a lot of money to do a lot of stuff with right like you could hire like five six full-time data data analysts statistical modelers uh data scientists you could do a lot of crazy stuff with that money and you might get better results and 
it's it's just kind of like the power play uh, of it all because like when you talk about analytics in the Ottawa Senators, it seems like they're pretty resolved in. We know it's there. We know there's data. We'll pay for sport logic stuff. We'll do you know we'll check our boxes. But in terms of investing in that kind of aspect or component of a front office, like many organizations are doing, I touched upon the Los Angeles Kings drafting like or uh, drafting hiring people out of like MIT with like masters in engineering and, and all this other crazy stuff. It's like, you kind of see where the league is trending and you kind of worry that although Ottawa is doing some small stuff, every other organization in the league is already doing that. And you just kind of worry that they're going to fall a little bit behind the eight ball a bit. And by the time that this corrects itself out and if Pierre McGuire is a GM in another year, like at, at what point, at what point would it get better if it doesn't get better this year? Right? Like I'm hoping they hired McGuire. That's great. Hopefully he, he, he starts embracing some of this stuff. Hopefully this isn't the only hire for the front office. Hopefully they hire some full-time analytics guys because the guy that they have is part-time. He's a, you know, his, his full-time job is to work for the federal government. So at some point, something's got to give at some point you either invest in it or you get left by the wayside. And to this point, they haven't done that. And you kind of want to see more of an investment on their side. Yeah, you bring up so many great points there. And I think one of the biggest is that it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, you can have a Pierre Maguire type in your front office and also analytic guys, you know, like it doesn't have to be we're doing it one way and that's the way we're going. There can be a mix of both. Both uh, like how many times do we hear when McGuire was on radio analytics is a tool? Well, yes, but you know, you want to use that tool and, and they don't really have that tool as much as I think they probably should in the front office. And I think one of the biggest things when, especially in this market, when you say, you know, look at, you should embrace analytics a little more as people go, well, look what's happening down the road in Toronto. And yeah, I mean, Toronto hasn't had much success so far, but also the Colorado Avalanche are a very analytic heavy team. And uh, they have one of the, one of the better futures in the entire NHL. I know it hasn't quite worked out for them yet, but uh, oh yeah, those back-to-back Stanley cup champions, those guys were heavily invested in analytics and, you know, cap management and, and all that stuff, you know, obviously the $18 million off of the cap that's um, you know, that, that didn't happen by accident and that stuff. Right. So, um, you know, obviously you can't, it's not just one or the other in terms of you don't need to just use analytics, but no one is suggesting you just use analytics. You know, it's just, you want to see a mix of both and you want to see some new age thinking because the, the like-minded stuff is, is exactly right too, where it's like, I, again, I don't know Pierre uh, McGuire personally, so maybe he will bring a different dynamic in the room, but if it's just another guy who, I don't want to say yes, man, but just another guy who kind of thinks the same way, you know, more, a little more old fashioned. Well, great. It's a new voice in the room, but how much does that push you compared to, you know, having three or four different voices that kind of look at things differently. And, you know, you can come to a conclusion by talking through it. So, um, you know, it, it'll be really interesting to see if, if they make any more additions to this front office going forward and definitely where this Pierre Dorian contract goes, because that'll, that'll be a, a story to keep an eye on over the summer, over the season for sure. For sure. And I think if you look, if you're looking at like analytical organizations, I think like Tampa Bay with Michael Peterson, Julian Breezeboy, they've done some fantastic work over the last like eight, eight years. Decade or think, so, yeah. I, I, I think the problem that hockey gets into or like analysts who just want to dump on organizations and everything else, it's people have a tendency to just ignore how difficult it is to win a Stanley cup. And and I think if that's the only measure that you're using to evaluate how successful an organization is, you're going to like, you're going to diminish 
how good a lot of organizations are. And you can go back as far as like the late nineties, early two thousands, Ottawa senators, like everybody looks at that, at that era of senators hockey and think, wow, like they didn't get the job done. The Vancouver Canucks during the, the mid two thousands, right. Or like late two thousands. Um, another great organization that just couldn't get over the cusp. Right. But like, that doesn't diminish how good they were for that time period. It's just, they just didn't get that job done when it came to the Stanley cup finals or, you know, and in Ottawa's respect, like they should have won a Stanley cup hundred percent. They should have won a Stanley cup. They should have beat New Jersey. They should have advanced. Dominic Hasek doesn't get hurt in 2006 game changer. Right. And it's just, it, it's just frustrating because a lot of people just diminish smart, smart stuff because they have this narrative in their head that analytics is like anti anti-scout and it's not it's just it's it's a tool that should be used in conjunction with scouting opinion to form the most informed opinion of a player or a decision that's going to be made and the whole point of a front office is to mitigate mistakes and to hit hit as many home runs as you can or stretch doubles in a single or stretch singles in a double sorry or turn doubles in a triple so you know like it's not one or the other. You mentioned that earlier. It's just everything should be done in conjunction with another to build the best, most informed front office that you can. And unless there's a few more hires, Ottawa hasn't necessarily done that yet. And that's just a point of frustration for me because you look at, you look at all the strong voices that are in the online community, guys who grew up as Ottawa Senators fans, guys and girls who grew up as Ottawa Senators fans. It's, it's frustrating to see the neglect that's gone on because you could have brought these guys into the fold and it could have been something awesome, but now they're getting scooped up by other organizations or they're just not interested in it at all just because where auto is at. And that's just, to me, that's just sad. And it's just a, it's, it's a misuse of resources and it's just, it's unfortunate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I couldn't say it better myself, myself. And uh, it, it's, it's kind of wild, you know, and I think this is a North American sport thing too, but yeah, it is. And how many times on a broadcast do they look at, this game could have gone completely different if this one lucky puck bounce didn't go off this guy's skate or whatever. And then at the end of the year, we still, for some reason, want to diminish 30 and soon to be 31 teams, what they did in a full season. It's like, well, no, like it's just, it's an extremely hard thing to win a Stanley cup. You need to build a great team. You need a lot of luck on your side in terms of just things going right. But then also just on the ice. So, you know, you can't just look at, well, this team won. So whatever they did is right. And nothing any other team did was right and can never work, you know, and um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I think we are moving towards that. You know, there's more smarter and smarter teams and uh, you know, more people being hired that are, are thinking outside the box and it'll be interesting to see where things go. But um, you know, I, I think that's a pretty good conversation on it for now. And uh, um, you know, uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Uh, you can find my stuff at gnichols.substack.com. You can find me on Twitter at Six Ends. Uh, my podcast is available on every major platform, although apparently I'm having issues with the Spotify account, and I'm trying to get that rectified. But uh, all the podcast episodes are available. You can find them on Apple, and uh, you can also find them on the uh, Substack website as well. But uh, Alex, thank you so much, man, for having me on. Yeah, thank thank you for joining me. And I'll definitely have to have you on again, you know, as we get closer to the season or into the season, because it's always a blast. Sweet. Appreciate it. Thank you.